Well, we are um, we are in this series, as I mentioned before, ready for anything. Last week we we covered this uh, uh, the these we started into these seven churches of Revelation. So, if you've got a Bible with you today, I uh, ask you to find Revelation chapter three. We were in chapter two, one and two last week. Today we're going to be do all of chapter three. And uh, I, I just, I'm beginning to love this book more and more. I confess there were times when I was uh, sort of nervous about the book of Revelation and kind of wondered really what to do with it. But the more I'm beginning to chew on it, the more and more I, I'm just, I'm just loving what's in there. And so it's, you really need to see this whole book as a, as a message to God's people. It begins with these by saying it's a letter, it's a message to these seven churches. And uh, we, we went through four of them uh, last week. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. Uh, and uh, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira. And we say we're called to truth. That's what that kind of the theme was for those churches. Called to truth with love, called to truth with courage, with purity, and with resolve. Anybody have an opportunity to practice resolve this week? Anybody have an opportunity to practice love this week? Right. And so that's, we sense, we sense that that was what we were being called to. We're not compromising the truth on one side and being kind of so soft with it, but not using the truth as a club to beat people up either. And try kind of living with truth and with love together. Now, to give you the context, I'm going to show you a map. So these seven churches, think of this kind of the seven as a package that's meant to be kind of a complete message to to the to God's people, to all church, uh, including us today. Just go back one more steer. Let's stay on that other one for a second. And then um, and that and that these seven messages would have gone to all seven of them, applied to all of them and applied to all of us. But they're also individualized specific messages in these seven churches. And so we're on Western Turkey and there's the list, there's the kind of the map of where those churches are located. And really today, uh, there is a city in that, that kind of over, you know, kind of built over Philadelphia and built over, uh, Thyatira. There's a small town near Pergamum, but Smyrna is really the only city that continues today in a kind of full on, uh, big city form with the same name. It's called Izmir, but that's just kind of a, uh, I don't know, language changed a little bit. Smyrna, Izmir, same thing. So that's the kind of the only one. So here we're going to do, we're going to, same thing we did last week, I'm going to talk through the three churches that remain of this list of seven, and then I'm going to come back and talk a little bit about some of the message of the churches. And uh, these are not, some of these are, there's a couple of really tough messages in here. So I want you to walk with me uh, uh, through that. And um, I'm going to start with Sardis. There's a picture of Sardis, the Sardis Acropolis. Uh, just so happened, uh, Becky and I, when we, um, in a previous time when we were church planting, we lived in a town called Sardis. That was the name of the town we lived in uh, north. But So that's the Acropolis of Sardis. Just stay on that picture for a little bit, Stuart, because I want to tell a little bit of story about these people. The main city, really, the main Roman city was built away from that, but in earlier times... The, 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 that was the fortress up top, and that's really where kind of the bulk of the people lived up top of there. And it was a wealthy city. There was gold panning in the nearby river. Um, they were they were a large wool producing um, area. They'd really developed 
dyeing, coloring wool. And so they're kind of really known for that and had really prospered because of that. King Croesus, one of the earlier kings in, uh, in uh, Sardis, was uber wealthy. I mean, just so rich and felt so secure on there. And so when Cyrus came through, uh, leader of the Persian Empire, they couldn't figure out how to conquer this Acropolis. And they tried different things. And, and finally, one night, one of Cyrus' soldiers, he's watching and watching and watching, trying to figure out, how are we going to get up there? And he sees one of King Croesus' guy. His helmet falls off. Now, wouldn't you just love to be the doofus that did this? His helmet falls off. And it tumbles down. And so he goes, doesn't realize he's being watched, goes down and gets his helmet and climbs his way back up. And the watching soldiers say, oh, that's how we get in. So they formed a small band to see how they could go in. They go up the same path, follow this guy in. They get to the gate and it's unguarded. There's nobody there. They're asleep. And they walk in and they take the city and all the gold and everything with it. How the city was conquered. But get this. It happened again. Almost the exact same thing about a few hundred years later. So twice the city had been conquered because people were asleep. Not paying attention. All right, what else do we got here? They were on the western end of the of the royal road. From It went from Sardis to Susa. I mentioned that last week. 90 days on foot, 9 days on horseback for those couriers. They were known as the swiftest couriers of ancient times. Uh, this is where the kind of the Roman uh, area is. And uh, they had the largest, it's, it's the largest synagogue that they found outside of Israel in the ancient world. And there I am getting ready to preach from from that and a very elaborate mosaics in the floor. But what's really interesting is the synagogue, and they don't know why, is attached to the Roman gymnasium. So it's like there was this sort of blending of religion and paganism and and it was known as um, a morally degenerate city. And so go to, let's go to that picture. This is the, what's remains of the gymnasium today. That's the place you'd work out. There's pools there. You'd, who knows what all else was happening. Lots of, lots of naked men around that, uh, thing back in the day. And then they suffered a massive, massive devastating earthquake in the year 17 and just destroyed the city. But the Roman, uh, government sub- gave the money. Tiberius sent money. Paid to rebuild the whole city. And so they had this sort of, they hadn't really had to work hard for anything and just kind of were known as sort of morally corrupt. Much earlier in kind of 5th century BC, a guy named Herodotus, who was a historian, wrote even then about Sardis, called them tender-footed, said they do nothing but play musical instruments and sell by retail. Um, I mean, it's just really cruel things that he said. He, he described Sardis this way. He said, Sardis was a city of peace. The peace of the man whose dreams are dead and whose mind is asleep, the peace of lethargy and evasion. Not a peace because you work for it, but a peace because you're just too lazy to, to do anything else. Pretty shocking. Now, I want to, we'll remain seated for these readings because now I'm going to read to you about Sardis. If you've got your Bible, please follow along. Keep your Bible, if you're using a Bible, whether paper or digital, keep it open this morning to chapter three because we'll refer back and forth to it quite a bit. Chapter 3 starts this way. Write this letter to the angel of the church or the messenger of the church in Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what little remains for even what is left is almost dead. 
I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. So a message of waking up. Waking up. Let me take you to the next city, Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia is one of two cities that receives no complaints, no criticisms, no rebukes in this city. But I tell you, there is not much to see if you go there today. So this is the remains of a, it's called the Church of St. John. I didn't actually take that picture because the pictures we took, it was such a hazy day and they, they just, they, they're not great. And, um, so thank you, Google Images for helping me out. That's all I can say. But that's what remains of the churches. And then there's one other picture and we didn't actually get to this. There is a theater that's been restored in Philadelphia as well. Ancient Philadelphia. Uh, this city was not as old as the other cities we're talking about today. It was built, it was built by the Greeks as a sort of missionary center for Greek culture. It was meant to promote Greek culture and Greek language. Remember, we're in the kind of Asia, what could have been, would have been called Asia Minor, Western Turkey. And so, uh, the area that actually was called the Lydian Empire previously. And so they were there to kind of promote Greek culture, Greek language, and they did so very effectively. Wine-producing region, lots of vineyards around there. They worship the god of, of wine, Dionysius. And uh, but there were also a, 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 quite a broad Jewish settlement in that whole area, not too far from Sardis. And um, here's what's really cool, kind of in more recent history. Uh, by recent, I mean 14th century. Um, it was the last city in the area to fall to the to the Muslim Ottoman Empire. So it was a, kind of the last Christian holdout city. And in 1390, it finally fell, but it was the last one to go. They were completely surrounded by this encroaching, encroaching Islamic culture and then finally collapsed in 1390, never to uh, never to return uh, to the Christian faith. And so they uh, they suffered under that for sure. They suffered the same earthquake that Sardis had suffered in 17. Tiberius did the same thing, generous help, rebuilt their city that way and in appreciation they changed their name twice they changed the name of the city to honor the emperor when it was called neo caesarea i can't remember what the other one was they changed their name to to honor hey thanks for the money thanks for helping us out but both times it ended up going back people just went back to calling it uh philadelphia um city of uh the love of brothers and uh today like i said the only thing that really remains at least that we saw is the, the remains of that church with those pillars remaining there's actually three strong pillars remaining but that's all that's there let me read to you revelation 3 beginning at verse 7 write this letter to the angel of the church in philadelphia this is the message from the one who is holy and true the one who has the key of david and what he opens no one can close and what he closes no one can open I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you have obeyed my word and did not deny me. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not. Okay, just let me be very clear. This is not a criticism of the Jewish people. This is a criticism of those who are hypocritical in their religion. 
I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue to come and bow down at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. I am coming soon, verse 11. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take away your crown. All who are victorious will become pillars in the temple of my God and they will never have to leave it. And I will write on them the name of my God and they will be citizens of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven from my God. And I will also write on them my new name. Okay, remember the city had gone through these name changes. We talked about those pillars that are standing. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So that's Philadelphia. Third one we're going to look at and last of the seven is Laodicea. Laodicea is probably the best known. Uh, when you read it, you realize it's probably one letter that you have heard some things from before. It's the best known of the seven. Um, but there is, it's the only one where there's nothing positive to say about this church. It's not a rebuke, but you, you've got this going on. It's, there's nothing positive for this church. These ruins are well-developed, about three square miles. It's huge. It's massive. It was a very large city, probably 120 to 150,000 people living there. Um, the, uh, you know, we, um, we saw a, a fourth century basilica, ruins of that, and, um, and probably um, they, they think something like 50 more church sites have been uncovered. Um, there was other kinds of worship there too. This next picture is, uh, is um, possibly they think the Temple of Apollo, but they don't they don't really know for sure. Um, but it, there it stands. And uh, here is a p- picture of my wife and I in in the church. Um, let's go back. Let's go back. Oh no! Uh, yeah, let's do that one. Let's talk about this a little bit. Okay. So there's a city real nearby called Heropolis. And it's where the kind of site of the hot mineral waters are and it's warm and it's lovely. It's just kind of a beautiful place. Everything's covered with white. It looks like glaciers, but it's just calcium deposits or mineral deposits all, all around there. And it's the origin, like I said, those mineral hot springs. Uh, Laodicea itself was an early uh, planned city, one of the early ones built on, built on a grid pattern. Uh, you uh, civil engineers will know about Hippodamus. Of Miletus. So it was his plan that they built the city on. And uh, very sophisticated water systems, sophisticated, sophisticated sewage systems. And they had this hot water piped in from Pamukkale. Now here's the thing about Pamukkale. Go, go back, go back, go back. So yeah, this is the brochure. It's like this, this is what you're going to experience. And then this is what we saw. There it is. That's how it is right now. So I'm not sure what's going on, but just live vicariously through the brochure. That's all I can say. Um, and so their hot water was pipelined in from there. Their cold water was brought in by uh, aqueduct from the nearby mountains. So the cold water supplied from over there, hot water supplied from over here. The problem is they didn't have any good water source near the city. So what happens when you bring in cold water? It kind of goes tepid. What happens when you bring in hot water? It kind of goes tepid. We're going to come to that in a moment. Here we are in the, the, um, in the church, the basilica that we, we found there. And let me tell you, it was so cold that day. It was so cold. Um, but we survived. We're in front of the baptism there in that church. Very, very wealthy church. Um, very ornate mosaics on the floor. Let's go to that next picture. And, uh, 
this, we couldn't get near it because they kind of had it all blocked up. But there's one spot, the, the, the guys who built the floor, their names are actually in the mosaic floor. It's just the greatest thing. Like Brian was here. Uh, I was just like, really? But they're, they're deacon, they're named the deacons and, and they built the, the floor there. Um, such a sophisticated, wealthy city. Known for its medical school, particularly known for its eye, uh, eye ophthalmology school, and uh, they developed a very sophisticated uh, eye treatment called um, Phrygian powder, and they would compress it into tablets and market it around the world, the known world. They were known for the production of black wool instead of white wool. Known for very high-end garment production, high-end clothing production. So this is like the high-end, you know, everything. Wealthy, prosperous, everything's going on for them. Uh, high quality textiles of, of all kinds. So you've got this wealthy city actually located on that royal road that I talked about. You had to go through Laodicea on the royal road. So all the commercial projects is basically the Highway 99 of the day. The trucks are zooming through and, and uh, everything is happening around this, this city. Here's, a, here's something that, that's kind of key to understand these guys is that in AD, 60, AD 61, the year 61, they, they suffered a, a massive devastating earthquake, as happens in that part of the world so much. They suffered this devastating earthquake. And again, the Roman government, at that time it was Nero, offered to rebuild, to rebuild the city, and they refused the help. They said, no, we got this. We can do this ourselves. Remember, they were wealthy, 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 comfortable, sophisticated. They had it going on. We can do this ourselves. We've got the money. All right. Now let me read to you Revelation chapter 3, picking up at verse 14 to 22. And for this one, this is our last reading. So why don't we stand together for the reading of God's word. This is the most serious of the seven messages to the churches. Revelation 3.14 says, Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. Verse 15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold, and I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me. Remember, this was the black wool area. So you will be not be shamed by your nakedness. An ointment for your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love. So be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, verse 20, I stand at the door and I knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. And anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Thank the Lord for his word this morning. Let's be seated. All right, so over the seven weeks that we're going to be in this book and the seven big themes we're looking at, we're going to say we're called to something. So last week we said we're called to truth. This week I'm saying we are called to wake, church. We are called to wake. 
You see, life's routines, life's busyness, life's obligations have this way of sort of lulling us to sleep. It's like we get on autopilot and we're just going through and it's all we can handle. And we're just so many of us are kind of living with anxiety and nervousness and uncertainty and stress. And and we just we kind of we, we kind of go into an escape mode, kind of an avoidance mode. We just kind of want to stay away from it all. We're, and so we tend to hide but behind whatever kind of can fill our time. Uh, you know, how many of us, and maybe me included, are just even addicted to our phones? And how much time do we spend doing this? Right? What's going on with us? As believers in Jesus, we are called to wake up and actively and intentionally follow Jesus. And so I want to take us back through these three messages and see what he's saying about, well, how do we wake? How are we going to wake up? How are we going to be a church that wakes? And I would say the first is we wake with the basics. We wake with the basics. Some of you know the uh, kind of old story. I don't know if it's totally true or not, but it makes a great story about the coach, Green Bay Packers coach, Vince Lombardi. It's summer 1961. It's training camp, first day of training camp, and he shows up. They just suffered a heartbreaking loss in the final of the previous season. And he stands in front of his boys and he says, boys, this is a football. Any of you know that story? You've heard that before? And some of the guys said exactly this way. Some of you are doing, they kind of laughed like, what's going on? Of course it's a football. And Lombardi realized we've got to go back to the basics. What are we about? First of all, we're about this. And so. They went on to win the, the final against the Giants six months later, 37 nothing. Going back to basics. Some of you are basketball fans, you know about John Wooden, UCLA coach. Do you know that Wooden would teach his players how to put on their socks and how to tie their shoes? Look, that's what you teach a two-year-old. Back to basics. And I would say it this way, friends. This is a Bible. It's what instructs and guides our life of faith. It's what turned the world upside down 500 years ago. The Protestant Reformation is, thanks to Gutenberg, we could all have a Bible. Thanks to guys like Tyndale, we could have it in our own language. And we could begin reading for ourselves and discover Amazing grace of God. Understand how to follow Jesus. Understand what it means. Some of us have got a dozen Bibles at home. I hope they're not all collecting dust. Friends, we've got to get back to basics. Got to get back to the Word. What does it say? Learning to read it day by day. Learning to meditate on Scripture A little bit every day. Because Jesus said the church of Sardis was asleep. You're asleep. He even said they're dead. Verse 2. Verse 1. He says, you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. It's a message. Remember that this was the city that had been conquered because of apathy and inattention and overconfidence. Every church is going to run this risk of of replacing life with busyness. 
So lots of activity makes it look like, man, that place is really happening. There's lots going on there. Right? But it might just be empty momentum that keeps everything going for whatever reason when we might actually be asleep or even dead. Think about this in America. Think about the American church, particularly the evangelical church. We have more resources available to us than ever before. Books, podcasts, Christian movies that you go see, um, uh, just endless websites, and, and you just like really great resources in abundance, more than ever before. And yet, you wonder, where's the impact? Where's the effect? What's going on? I heard someone recently say, that every great movement of God started with at least one person who had a white-hot faith and began to plead with God for revival, for renewal. Where are those people? Will that be us? We can't be asleep. We can't be. The, the world needs us to wake up and be alive. We've got to ask those hard questions. Are people being, you know, are people getting saved? Are they coming to Christ? Are they getting baptized? Are, are, are people who are apart from God coming to God because of the work that we're doing? Because if not, we're not what we're called to be, which is fully alive in Christ. And so every church, ours included, and every believer has to honestly self-assess, am I alive or just busy? Am I alive or just busy? The church of Sardis Still had a faint heartbeat. All was not lost. And Jesus said, strengthen, verse 2, strengthen what remains. Build it up. Work with what you got. The key there is really in verse 3. He says this, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief, or the way the New International Version puts it. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard. Hold it fast and repent. The way to wake up spiritually is to get back to basics. First, repent. Just stop. Admit to God, God, I've just kind of abandoned, like, taking any of this very seriously. I've abandoned basic disciplines, basic habits. Don't fall into this trap of, well, we just need deeper teaching. I just need someone to like feed me richer spiritual food. No, you, you need to learn to feed yourself. You need to learn to develop your own ability to feed spiritually. When people say, well, you know, I've heard this many times. You know that. Pastor, you just, you're just not deep enough for me. I'm like, I, I, I don't even know what you mean. I don't even know what that means. Because to me, the gospel is so simple. It's just so straightforward. God loves you created you to know him our sin separates us from god he sent jesus as the only means by which we can be saved by putting my faith in jesus to be forgiven and made right with him it's a personal choice that by faith we are made right with god that we confess our sins and he cleanses us from all unrighteousness that's it that's the gospel if that's all i heard every week that would be enough maybe before complaining about, oh, it's not deep enough. Let's, let's take the simple that we do have and share that with someone else and see how that goes. 
Now, how do we get back to basics? Read your Bible. Meditate on Scripture. Look, I know that we have real life, but make it a make it a goal every day or most days if you can to read something in your Bible. We develop, we have this great little system at Bethany Church. We call it the R and R Journal. I have it available at the back. Uh, if you can afford a five dollar donation to pick one up, great. If not, just take one if you'll use it. We've got a simple system where there's two different kinds of reading plans in the back. You read the reading for the day. Let the Lord bring up a verse or more to your attention. Jot it down. Reflect on that. God, what are you saying to me? And what's my response? Write down a little bit of a prayer. You say, well, I'm not a journal. I'm not a writer. Okay, fine. Do something. Do something. Maybe get the one-year Bible and it kind of keeps you, some kind of plan that keeps you reading day by day. But I think there's something good about writing and reflecting. But that's maybe me because I'm a writing guy. Right? You can pray. You can talk to God anywhere in your car, in your home, at the dinner table. Make it a habit at the very least. Pray at mealtimes when you, when you have a meal with your family. With your friends. God taught us, Jesus taught us to pray to our Heavenly Father. We pray in the name of Jesus. We pray under the direction of the Holy Spirit. All parts of the Trinity are involved when we pray. We want to be in community with God's people. In other words, get yourself to church like you are today. Or small group. Or that place where you are in community. Where you can start to, to, to really be encouraged and enriched. Where you can worship together. Where you can serve one another. Don't, don't fall into the trap of, well, I just need me time on Sunday. I need me time. Look, when you're stressed and overwhelmed, you need community. You need God's people around you. I'd say give the full tithe so that money doesn't become your God. And some of you right now are going like, oh, there he goes, talking about money. Listen, that's not for me. And I've told you this before. If you feel like I'm somehow trying to fleece you, Fine, start by giving your tithe somewhere else. I believe that the tithe belongs in the storehouse. It belongs in the place of your home fellowship where you are kind of enriched spiritually. But if that's a hindrance for you and if you feel like I'm somehow manipulating it, then fine, start tithing somewhere else. But tithe, give the full tenth to honor God so that money doesn't become your God. It's a practice that Jesus assumed you would do, that we would do. He said, well, I can't afford to. I know. That's why we have to do it. That's where it begins. We want to practice care for those who need support and help. And sometimes it's just fun stuff, like helping out at the carnival. It says right in there, if yes, text your name right now to this number. You could do that while I'm talking. Say, so, yeah, I want to be someone who serves. Get back to basics, he says. These habits that I'm talking about are what Christians have been doing for the last 2,000 years. There's nothing new here. There's nothing novel about it. And it's what people in churches that are thriving and growing, it's what the people do. And if you want to get, if you're ready to get into some kind of small group, a place of community, you can reach out to Pastor Stephen this week. and He'll help you with that. So we are called to wake by getting back to basics. Secondly, we're called to wake with confidence. Let's go to the church of Philadelphia. This is the church that did not receive any rebuke from Jesus, just praise and encouragement. I know, verse 8, I know the things you do, and I've opened a door for you. 
that no one can close. You have little strength, and yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Isn't that a great testimony? It was hard. You were so beat down. You were so on the verge of giving up. You didn't see how you were going to make it. You were just feeling so anxious. You were depressed. You were discouraged. You, you, were, you, you just, everything felt pressing on you, but you hung on and you did not deny me. You turned to me when you needed help. You didn't say, God, this is all your fault. And he's saying, well done. Well done. And Jesus says in verse 7, I've opened a door for you. He describes himself as the one who has the key of David and what he opens, no one can close. And what he closes, no one can open. You know what that is? That's confidence. You know, Jesus is opening doors for you. Opportunities. Places that he wants you to go. Places he wants you to step into boldly. Some of you are doing that. I've watched some of you step into new areas of ministry. It's exciting. It's just amazing. Jesus is the one with the keys and he's opening doors. And, and Jesus is saying, look, yes to these guys. He's, yes, you're going to have opposition. Yes, you're going to have problems. But I'm at work in your life. I'm there. Hold on to what you have so you don't go down in defeat. Winners win. There's something about this confidence that builds as you hang on. You know, we talk about a lot in sports. I, I told you, I promised I'd at least work in some hockey reference at some point in these messages, right? I'm a little happier tonight because my team won last night. And this is like, okay, the confidence is building. They're going to win tomorrow night. Finish round two and head on to round three to the conference final. Come on, go Sharks, right? So there's something about that when you're winning, you build confidence. Even it's just like just barely, Jesus, I'm just hanging on, but I got through today. Oh, I got through today. Okay, Jesus. Okay. You're opening doors. You're going to open the door until tomorrow. Jesus, I can do that. And to the victorious, Jesus promises that you'll be pillars in the heavenly temple, strong, dependable, right? You'll be guaranteed eternal heavenly citizenship. Remember, this was the church that, that was grasping for the empire emperor's attention by changing their name. He's saying, look, don't worry about that. I'm going to give you a new name. I'm going to give you heavenly citizenship. All those things that you've been grasping for, I'm going to, I'm going to take care of all that for you. The old is gone. You have a new identity in Christ. Your only confidence Needs to be in him. Don't be confident in your good deeds. Don't be confident in your, you know, your church work. Don't be confident in your prosperity or your talent or your family stability. Don't worry about any of those things. It's Jesus only. So we're called to wake as the Philadelphians did with confidence. One more, Laodicea. Called to wake with humility. That's what I think it is. Because this, this is an alarming message to a church that thinks they're pretty hot stuff. Hey, we're doing good. Right? When they're about to be spit out, when they're about to be rejected. In modern terms, I would say this is the church that, that has a long history. They got a stable budget. They got a nice building. They got good people. They got attractive programs. They got good music. Everything like, yeah, we got it going on. We're good. But in reality, that church is tepid and ineffective. It's not accomplishing what God's called it to. Laodicea, remember, it's the city that said to the government, no, we don't need help. We got it. We're fine. Thanks. The church that says, we're, we're rich and we're content. And Jesus says, no, verse 17, he says, no, no, you're not. 
you're, you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Right? Surrounded by all this wealth. Surrounded by the best clothing stores in the known world. Surrounded by the best fabric dealers. Surrounded by the best doctors. Surrounded by the wealthiest people. You're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He says you're lukewarm. You're like, you know that water you got coming down from, from Heropolis and the, the water you got coming from the mountains? You know how gross that is when it's just tepid? Yeah, that's, that's what it's like. It's not nice to drink. And he's saying, I'm disciplining you. It's an act of love that I'm disciplining you in this. And, and this is harsh. It's hard even for me to talk about this. Tepid Christians, tepid Christians are, in a sense, worse than unbelievers. Why? Because they misrepresent the life-changing power of God by living a life that is not changed, that looks no different than when anybody around us. That's, that's, that's given to all the same things that everybody around us is given to. Terrible relationships and terrible examples to others and making no kind of forward motion. I'm not talking about being perfect. I, look, we all struggle. We all got our issues. But if I'm not making any forward progress, Eugene Peterson called it a long obedience in the same direction. If we're not making any forward progress, how is that honoring to God? How is that upholding a good testimony of Jesus? Jesus wants a church that's going to be humble enough to say, we need you, Jesus. Not just nice. Not just mild-mannered. Ineffective. Busy. Busy. Don't, no doubt. Don't get me wrong. Lots of activity. But lukewarm. And every one of us, me included, is tempted to drift into this sort of comfortable complacency. I really loved walking through this church building because you could tell this place was nice. It was nice. I mean, those, the, the floor mosaics and the other side of the church were so elaborate. And we'd be just the kind of church you'd walk in every morning and say, we have a nice place. Not anymore. Right? Every one of us has a tendency to drift into complacency and complacency is a, it's a ruiner. Ruins relationships. It ruins marriages. Ruins your health, it ruins your finances, it ruins your testimony. Verse 18 says that we're, we're to buy gold. He says to them, buy gold, refined gold from Jesus and garments and medicine. What does he mean by that? How do you buy something from Jesus? You buy something from Jesus? Here you go, Jesus. Well, how do you buy anything? The way you buy something is you give what's valuable to, of yours and you give it to someone who has something that you want. So what's happening here? What do they value? Complacency, comfort, riches, reputation. And maybe it's saying, Jesus, all those things that have been valuable to me, I want to surrender it to you. I'm willing to give up my comfort. I'm willing to give up my traditions. I'm willing to give up my complacency. I'm willing to give up my financial security, Jesus, I'm willing to give all that up so that I can receive kind of the the gold, the precious gold of salvation. 
so that I can receive the, the ointment, the, the healing of being able to see what you would have me see. So that I can have the, the clothing, the robe of righteousness that you promised. Dressed in the way you'd have me dress. That's what we're called to. That's what we're called to. That's what he's calling them to. And it's an incredible moment because Jesus, Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. Some of you have seen that picture of the door with no doorknob on the outside. Jesus stands at the door and he knocks. We most, many, if you grew up in church, you learned this as a salvation verse when you were a little kid. We probably teach it in Awada. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and then opens the door, I'll come in. NLT says, and we'll share a meal together as friends. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's not Jesus coming in for judgment. That's just saying, Jesus is saying, look, let me in. I'm going to help you with this. I'm not here to tear you apart. I'm here to build you up. Just let me in. Let me be a part of that for you. That's the Jesus that's knocking at the door. But the verse is for a proud church. It's comfortable. It's miserable and wretched and poor and naked. Those are harsh things. But he's offering to restore fellowship with them if they'll be humble enough to admit their need. Will we wake up with humility? I don't mean modesty. I don't mean the sort of self-modesty of like, oh, we're just little Bethany church. No, don't, don't mind us. We'll just tuck back here away and don't just, you know, like, yeah, we're fine. I don't mean that kind of false modesty. I mean the humility to say, we need Jesus 24-7. That's what we need. The humility to say, I'm going to actually let the community around me know, you know, Jesus is our answer and he's your answer too. That's what I'm talking about. As a church, as individuals, are going to invite Jesus in to take us out of our complacency because we're called to wake. Wake with the basics. Basics are just a commitment to practice the essential habits of Christian life. We're going to unpack that this summer. So if you feel like, Brian, you don't understand. I just can't listen. We'll, we'll come back to it this summer. We're going to kind of walk through that, how you can do that in real ways that, that work for you. We're, we're, we're called to to wake in the Christian life with confidence. Knowing that Jesus is opening doors of opportunity for you and you don't need to be afraid. Called to, to wake with humility. Submitting, I've got needs. i got issues. i got things i got to repent from. i got things I need to make right with people. I'm realizing that a tepid faith is actually a turn-off. You might be turned off by this sort of crazy radical Christian who's like way out there. But you're also strangely attracted, aren't you? Doesn't there something, man, I wish I, I wish I didn't care what other people thought about me. I wish I could just get out there and say it. But I can tell you're especially not attracted by the person who claims to be a Christian, but there's nothing going on. We're attracted to that person who's bold. Just bold with the way they love people. Bold with the way they lift up Jesus. They don't, they don't glorify themselves. I've kind of gone long. And so I'm just going to close in prayer. 
But as we do, I just want to mention that, you know, prayer team people, if you guys can just be available after the service off the side, then maybe, maybe today you're like, you realize, and I just got to repent. I got to turn from where I've been and I got to get this right. Will you bow with me as we pray? God, I thank you that you've preserved these messages for us, the message to all these seven churches, but particularly today as we look at Laodicea and Philadelphia and Sardis. Lord, they were probably nice places, good people, lots going on, but Lord, they were, they were complacent, lethargic, proud. God, I confess those words would describe me pretty well a lot of times. God, I'm just asking that you would allow us to be honest with ourselves and to recognize that, man, we've said, I'm rich, I got it, I can do this myself. When you're saying, no, no, you don't got this. And Jesus, you're offering to help us to, to raise us up out of that complacency and that pride. Lord, can we be a church that wakes up? Can we be a church that, that buys from you those precious things out of giving to you what's valuable to us? Jesus, I long for, for us to be known as the people who are fully alive in Christ. Some people are, are going to be totally offended by that. That's okay. Some people are going to be totally attracted to that, and that's my desire. And churches, we're just finishing up here. I'm just asking that there may be one thing in here that's specific. Can you just take a moment to do a little bit of business with Jesus? In your own way, you just talk to him and say, Jesus, you're speaking to me about this and I want to pay attention. That might be all it is. Jesus, you're speaking to me about you fill in the blank and I want to pay attention to what you're saying. Jesus, you're speaking to me about and I want to pay attention. God, you're so good. You're so good. Lord, I long, I look forward to down the road people writing stories about those folks at Bethany Church. Alive. Righteous. Waking others up. Humble. Persevering. Confident in Jesus. Lord, that's what I desire for, for what to be written about us down the down the road. Let it be so. Let it be so. God, you're so good. You're so good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.